Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 428. This week, we've got our cruise review of the last cruise to Alaska in 2021. Jenna joins me on this week's episode to talk about her cruise on Ovation of the Seas on the last sailing of the cruise season and what it was like to visit Alaska this year. Here we go. Going to Alaska is certainly on most people's bucket list cruises, and this year, if you managed to get a cruise into Alaska, well, you had a very narrow window of time to do it, but some people got to do it, including this week's guest joining me back on the podcast. It is Jenna DeLaurentis of uh, RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Jenna, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. And uh, today we're talking about uh, the ovation of the season. Jenna, you got a chance to go not only in your first Royal Caribbean cruise to Alaska, not only your first cruise on Ovation of the Seas, but during what I think is going to end up being like the best time to ever go because 2021 is the shortened season and not a lot of competition. So you basically had Alaska to yourself. So in, in, in short order, I'm extremely jealous, but also interested in talking to you about your experiences on the Ovation of the Seas. And, you know, if you if you our audience remembers, we had Jenna on uh, a couple weeks ago talking about her first Royal Caribbean cruise ever. And in that cruise, Jenna, that was your first cruise in general, but you had a lot of exposure to what a cruise is all about because of your work here at Royal Caribbean Blog. And Alaska, I got to think, was kind of similar in that you've never been to Alaska before, but you certainly knew a lot about it just from editing videos and, and whatnot. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I don't, I think I, I was prepared for all the great scenery, you know, import and everything, but I, I didn't really realize that we would have amazing views of the mountains pretty much the whole cruise when we're even on like sea days going from place to place. Um, we had like fantastic views the whole time, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, the scenery really struck me. I remember my first cruise to Alaska as well. It's like everyone tells you that it's beautiful, but it's like, OK, cool. And But you have to see it for yourself to truly appreciate it. Mm hmm. Um, so you were, your seven night cruise left from Seattle and you had a chance to do a little bit in Seattle. What was your, uh, tell us about some of the highlights of visiting Seattle for the day. Yeah, I really enjoyed Seattle. I had been there once before, but hadn't, um, I was doing something else. So didn't have much time to explore. So this time we walked around downtown, uh, went to the Pike place market, which I really recommend. That's where the first Starbucks is, uh, for any coffee lovers out there. Uh, and then there's, uh, the culture of Seattle is really interesting. Uh, and we had great weather too. It was sunny. So we had uh, pretty fantastic views. Uh, we even got to see Mount Rainier, uh, which is, which was nice. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. You know, I love the Pike marketplace. You know, Seattle is one of those places that we spent a lot of time there. I think we spent too much time on our last visit there, but some of the attractions downtown are really nice to do. And you know, if you're flying in, you flew in pretty early, right? You, you got in with an, like basically the whole afternoon, the day before your cruise. Yep. Yeah. So I had almost 24 hours, I guess, in, in Seattle before our cruise, before we even boarded. Fantastic. And since people always ask this question, Jenna, uh, which hotel did you stay at and do you recommend it? Um, it was the, <laughs> one sec, I have it right here, the uh, Holiday Inn Seattle downtown Lake Union. And yeah, I mean, it it was fun. Like it was your pretty standard hotel. Um, and it had a shuttle to the cruise terminal with for only, I think $10 a person. So that was okay. pretty nice. Nice. Fantastic. So, uh, on this cruise, you cruised with your dad who also, it was his first cruise. Is that right? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're, uh, now you're the grizzled veteran, uh, bringing around someone who's brand new to cruising. Yeah. Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, he'd always kind of wanted to go on one, but my mom was always a little nervous about getting seasick. Uh, but she's actually going to come on one with me next year. So, uh, she'll be fine. But 
so he was really excited to come on and I was trying to explain everything, the whole process to him. Uh, you know, he had to do the, the e-muster drill and he's like, what is this? What do I have to do? I'm confused. And just <laughs> explaining everything. Um, even though I've only been on three cruises now, but two cruises, then I felt like I had a pretty good idea of everything to explain to a first timer. Absolutely. So planning your Alaska cruise, you know, it's, it's a little different animal, right? Packing and whatnot. How did you approach planning your Alaska cruise? Uh, I guess contrast that with planning for Caribbean cruises, which you've done. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing was planning what to do in port, uh, because in the Caribbean, you can kind of maybe wing it a little better. You're usually in a beach location. So if worse comes to worse, just go lay on the beach. If you uh, didn't plan anything in advance or anything, uh, but in Alaska, I w- wanted to make sure I saw the highlights of everything. Um, and I think it's a very kind of excursion heavy destination, but I also didn't, I was kind of keeping the weather into account as well. Uh, since it was October, you know, some activities I wanted to do like a, a bike ride, uh, through, I think that was in Juneau, but I was a little iffy about the weather. So I kind of took a lot of that into account, uh, and ended up picking three different excursions. Uh, one was, um, like a totem pole excursion in Ketchikan, which was pretty nice. And then in Skagway, we did the white pass train ride, which was unbelievable. I'd recommend everyone do that. And then in Juneau, we, it, we didn't go through Royal Caribbean, but, uh, cause it was sold out, but we just took a shuttle bus to the Mendenhall glacier park area and back. Um, so I think shore excursion planning was a big part of preparing and also packing, it was a lot different than packing for summer months. Of course, uh, I usually don't check a bag, but I checked the bag this time just because I had a bunch of winter coats and, and all of that. I ended up packing way too much though, which is kind of, <laughs> I'd say my biggest mistake I made, um, in the Caribbean, for example, you know, you're, it's hot and sweaty and all that. So I feel like you go through clothes faster, but in Alaska, I pretty much wore the same outfit, um, each day in port, you know, waterproof jacket, a pair of jeans and my waterproof boots. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of the extent of my preparation. Yeah, that, and that makes sense. I, I remember, you know, thinking about tackling. I think packing is always the hardest thing about an Alaska cruise because the weather is such an unknown factor. And even if it's sunny, forget the rain factor, just the temperature swings. I mean, it's just it changes a lot. Uh, and mm-hmm. quite frankly, you know, that can be a lot. of uh, The fact that you overpack is not surprising. I just can't even imagine just you know, I don't know, underpacking for, for an Alaska cruise. It's just, I think the nature of the beast. So anyway, uh, so getting into the, how was checking in Seattle? How did that work out? Um, it was good. It was definitely more crowded than my previous two. You know, I went on Mariner of the seas in August and I think there were like 800 people on board. Uh, and then on Odyssey of the seas in September, I think 1300. So ovation, which is pretty much the same size as Odyssey had, uh, about 3000 people on board. So it was definitely a more hectic, uh, boarding experience a little bit, but, uh, not bad. We just kind of waited in line, waited for our check-in time and then went through the process. But because I had such uh chill, uh, check-in procedures before it seemed a little crazier, but I'm sure that's pretty standard. Yeah. Seattle's kind of a weird port. I remember it also being kind of a, uh, kind of a, not, I want to call it a mess, but just not as efficient as you will, if you will, as some of the other floor. Yeah, that's probably ports. how I would. And then we had, when we were disembarking, we had, a uh, some, uh, delays. I'm not sure what was happening, but people were getting pretty nervous about their flights, but everything worked out. So good. Good. So what kind of room did you have for this cruise? I had an interior room. Uh, I think it might've been a studio. I'm not totally sure. There was a chair instead of a couch. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, my dad had an interior as well. That was the standard size with the couch. 
Nice. And what did you, you know, interior room? This is one of the also big debates about Alaska cruises. Should you go with the interior? Should you, should you splurge for the balcony? Did you feel at any time, Jenna, like, did you wish you had the balcony? Like, as in, I'm sure you would, I'm sure you wished you had a giant suite, but did you feel <laughs> it was a, a hindrance to you for having um, the, the interior room versus the balcony? No, I don't think so, especially in October, because it was usually kind of cold. Um, so we weren't really even on the outside decks that much. Uh, a lot of times we were on the indoor pool deck area so we could look out, but have that temperature controlled area, uh, between us and the outside. Um, so I don't think I totally missed out. Maybe in the summer it would be nice. So you can kind of enjoy the scenery from the privacy of your own balcony. However, I like being on the top decks more than a balcony, I think, because a lot of the views in Alaska, it's nice to see them from kind of a 360 degree view that you'll get from the pool deck. Mm. Whereas on a balcony, you're only seeing like one side of the scenery. So, um, I, I think there's pros and cons. I did have a virtual balcony, Mine was a little, I think it might've been a little bit broken because uh, sometimes the screen would go green and stuff, oh. but my, my dad's was, um, was nice to see. And I, I don't really think I would, I don't know if I'd pay extra for a virtual balcony, but it was nice to see, you know, is it dark outside? Is it light? Where are we? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just, it's, that's exactly how you look at it. It's, it's an upgrade from an interior room, not a replacement for a balcony room. So yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Anno, let's talk before we get to the ports here. Let's talk quickly about Ovation of the Seas. You had just been on Odyssey of the Seas, a somewhat sister ship to the mm -hmm. to Ovation. How did you How did you find Ovation? What did you like about the ship? Yeah, it was it was weird being on Ovation right after Odyssey because I almost felt like I was in the same exact place, but yeah. I wasn't. Like I was halfway across the world from Odyssey, right? Um, so it was kind of fun to compare and contrast how Royal Caribbean utilized the different spaces. Uh, for example, on Odyssey, there was the um, Giovanni's wine bar, whereas on Ovation, it was vintages. So mm -hmm. it was cool to see the difference between that that kind of thing in the design. Uh, a lot of it was pretty similar. Um, I liked the indoor pool on Ovation, but that's not totally needed in the Caribbean, of course, on Odyssey. Um, and Odyssey is a bit more colorful and Ovation is a little more like blue colored. Uh, but I, I liked both of them. I, I don't think I have a preference of one or the other because they're just so similar to each other. Yeah, and and it's interesting you said that because I remember going on Odyssey, and for me, I was comparing it more to Anthem of the Seas, right? Mm -hmm. Another quantum class ship. And in a lot of cases, if you just, you know, if I had blindfolded you and just dropped you on board Odyssey, I'm not sure you'd be able to tell me that you were on either Anthem or Ovation in this case or Odyssey. It's really just some of the more noticeable features, right, that kind of stand out more so, especially if you're just on the Esplanade, like in front of the pub. I, I, yeah. I'm really not sure you'd be able to tell the difference. Yeah, the Esplanade is pretty identical, except like there's a cafe patisserie and on Ovation and Starbucks on Odyssey and a couple stores are different, but yep. the architecture is identical. So. There you go. Yep. Cool. Um, so let's talk about the really want to focus here on what you did in Alaska, because that's so much of a cool thing. Let's start off with first of all, your itinerary did change, right? Yeah, we were supposed to go um, first to um, Juno and then Skagway and then Sitka, but then Right before we left Seattle, the uh, captain came on the announcing the speaker and said that we were going to switch to Ketchikan, Juno, and Skagway. So we went to Ketchikan first. Nice. All right. So let's talk about Ketchikan here. I've never been to this port. What did you like about it? Yeah, I think this was my favorite port. They were all really nice, but Ketchikan, I don't know if it was just because it was the first views we had of Alaska. So it was kind of more special that way. Um, but the town was, uh, I think, about 15,000 people lived there. Um, and it was pretty open. Um, even though we were the last ship of the season, you know, there were a bunch of stores open, 
there was a really cool brewery there, um, little diners with, with locals in it. Uh, so it, it was probably the liveliest port that we were in. Um, and the views from Ketchikan, it's an island. So um, it's really fantastic all around. And I mean, not unlike any of the other ports. Yeah. You mentioned in your live blog, Jenna, that you there was a short walking path through the forest. Was this like a oh, shortcut yeah. or was this like a park? Um, so, okay. So there's this street called Creek Street in Ketchikan, which mm-hmm. is by a creek, of course, but it's this very historic area of the town, um, kind of like wood planked streets and uh, houses on stilts kind of. And um, so that's an excellent area to walk around. And if you keep going on that wooden path, you'll go by a creek with a little waterfall coming down. Um, And then there's this lodge on top of a hill. And so there's these wooden steps and walking path area that goes all the way up there. Uh, So that's nice if if you're looking to do just a short walk in town. It's not anything strenuous, um, but it has some good views along the way. Nice. Fantastic. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up was Skagway. Is that right? Uh, Juno was next. Juno is next. All right, cool. So uh, tell us about Juno and your new favorite drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we got off the ship in Juno and we wanted to get to Mendenhall Glacier. And originally I thought we'd have to take a taxi, but luckily right outside the port, there's uh, these sands where we could get on a shuttle bus to Mendenhall. So we went there uh, and saw the glacier and it wasn't raining at this point. So the weather was pretty good, um, actually. Uh, so we were walking around the glacier and did this short walk to Nugget Falls, which is this huge waterfall there. And I, I'd recommend going to Mendenhall. Uh, the glacier is a little far back, but you can still see it uh, pretty well from oh, yeah. every area of, of there. Uh, and bringing binoculars there is good, too, because then you can look closer up. Um, so we did that first. And then we went back to Juno after maybe like two two hours or so at the glacier. And it was kind of pouring rain at this point in Juneau. Uh, so our weather was good in the morning, luckily at the glacier. But then when we got back to town, it was raining a lot. So we uh, found refuge in the Red Dog Saloon, which is in kind of right near the, the ship. Um, so it's this old historic saloon, uh, at least 100 some years old, 120 maybe. Um, and they have this shot there called the Duck Fart, which is the Alaskan Duck Fart. Duck fart um, and it's Crown Royal uh, Baileys and Kahlua, and it's very good. I think the uh, the saying for it is uh, "quack quack, knock that," and then swear word back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had my dad was extremely reluctant of it. He's like, "I don't think I'm gonna like that. Let's right. just get beers." And I'm like, "No, we have to try it." So it's too bad you didn't have it. Too bad you didn't have the was, mixer over here for you. Could have used a. Uh for that. But. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really good. So that's going to be our new shot at, uh, the holidays, I think for nice. the family. Nice. Yeah. I never made it to red dog. I did. I did Mendenhall Glacier park and I loved it. Nugget falls was fantastic. My kids yeah. like fell in love with that because they have a lot of paths, but the main path that brings you to nugget falls is paved. So it's really easy to walk on. And they just loved like, you know, seeing what was right around the next corner and like leading the way. I, yeah, I, it was nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I didn't anticipate that as being a thing my kids would like. But even more than that, the views are absolutely amazing. And it really, if you want to go crazy or not crazy, but if you really want to have more of an intense hike, there's much more, you know, in adventurous trails there as well. So you can really spend a lot of time at that park, depending on how, again, adventurous yeah. or not you want to be. Yeah, if the weather was a little better, I, I definitely would have done some of the other trails. And same in Ketchikan, too. There's this big peak there. And I guess you can you have enough time 
if the weather's good, if you like hiking to hike up and summit the peak and then come back down before the ship leaves. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then you've also got Skagway, which I think had your favorite excursion you did. Yeah, Skagway. So the town was a little bit closed down um, because we were the last ship. And I don't think as it's as big as as a population as Ketchikan. Um, So some of the saloons and and breweries and and stuff were closed. But uh, we got off the ship and the train leaves from like right near the ship. So that was really nice. So it's a uh, heated cab, heated train car. And it goes, I, I think 2000 feet up, um, to on the white pass and Yukon railway. Um, it can go to all the way to the summit. And I think the train goes all the way to Whitehorse in the Yukon territory, uh, which you can't do on a cruise day, of course. But, um, so there's a lot of options there. You can go up to the summit or go into Canada, I believe. Uh, but the views on that were, spectacular it started with the autumn colors and then we went up further and the snow started coming and at the top where we finished was just a winter wonderland you know everywhere snow on the mountains glacier views Uh, it was amazing yeah and um so we went back down and explored town a little bit um there's this really cool place called klondike doughboys in downtown skagway which was filled with people from the ship uh and they make kind of like an elephant ear but they call it fry bread it's just a fried piece of dough with cinnamon and sugar. So that was really good. I'd recommend going there. Um, it was kind of a fun little spot. Then we just got some coffee next door at the coffee shop and kind of walked around, but it was really cold in Skagway. I think that was our coldest day. So, um, yeah, then we went back to the ship and just enjoyed the scenery until we left. Yeah. I think, uh, we, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was extremely jealous of Jenna going and my wife was as well. We loved Alaska until, my wife looked up the temperature forecast for her cruise and then she's like, oh, it's a good thing Jenna's going and not me. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll come back in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, most of it wasn't as bad as I thought. Skagway was kind of cold. Uh, it, it was the furthest north too, but the other two were totally doable. I just wore a sweater and then my rain jacket over top and it was yes. fine. Uh, can you give us a list of animals that you see, including bears perhaps? Um, no bears. I don't know if they're starting to hibernate or anything in Sitka. We were supposed to go to a bear fortress area. Um, so we we didn't do that obviously, but so we saw a couple eagles from far away. Uh, we saw some whales. We didn't go whale watching, uh, cause I didn't know how, how it would be in October and not that many people saw much of who I talked to, you know, that went on the whale watching course. Um, so when we were having our first sea day, uh, so we saw we were eating at Jamie's Italian and all of a sudden the captain came on on the speaker system and said there's a bunch of whales on both sides of the ship. So I told the waiter, I was like, I'll be back. <laughs> and I just ran, <laughs> ran out to the promenade deck and there were a bunch of whales. They were kind of far away, but, you know, we saw tons of their blowholes and their backs as they were swimming. Uh, so that was really cool. Pretty much like so much of the ship just came out to look at them, which was, which was nice. And then we went back cause we had to eat dessert. We didn't do that yet. So obviously we had to stop our whale watching and go, go eat some chocolate brownies at Jamie's. Uh, but then luckily they have some windows there. So we were able to keep watching, but we, we saw most of it from the promenade deck. Nice. Any, anything you regret, anything you, you wish you did differently on this cruise? Um, I don't think so actually yeah. <laughs> just, just pack less, I think yeah. would be my uh, advice. I, I think, yeah, other than that, I, I think I was happy and bringing, yeah, just making sure to bring, I'd recommend like a waterproof backpack. I had that, which was nice because I could just stick my phone in it, my camera in it and all that. And then 
obviously water, waterproof shoes are nice. If you have those, not like totally necessary, but waterproof jacket with a hood, I'd say is necessary. Yeah, I agree. There's a, some, a lot, you can get these, these things from a lot of different places, but you're ideally, I know like Columbia makes one as well. It's like a three in one, they call it, or maybe it's a two in one where essentially you have like the outerproof water layer. You have like this thermal layer in there and it, that having that is really utilitarian. It helps a lot because, you know, I always thought when I dress for Alaska, you're basically, I wear like the same clothes I'd wear in the Caribbean minus the shorts, just like pants and a t-shirt. And then I just keep adding on to that or taking off as I need. So like, you know, the, the, the sweater layer and then the jacket layer on top of that. And that usually does pretty darn good. Did you have, did you have gloves or like a knit hat or anything? Yeah, I did have gloves. Um, I use them sometimes, but then I lost them. So I don't know where they went, <laughs> but then I, I also had a hat, which was nice. Kind of just a knit beanie hat. Nice. So are you, uh, in, in summary here, Jenna, would you want to go back to Alaska again? Yeah, definitely. I I'd like to do, I mean, I think it's a great way to see the Southeast part of Alaska on a cruise just because there's not even roads connecting most of those towns. So right. you have to go on a boat or a ship, whichever way or a ferry. Um, and then I'd like, so I'd like to do, I'd love to do that again. And then I'd like to go back to Alaska and go to Denali and Anchorage area and see some of the more land inner, like interior part of yep. Alaska as well. So, so something that Royal Caribbean does, maybe we'll have to uh, talk about this in an internal meeting, but the, uh, oh. <laughs> they do land, they do land tours as well that add on yeah. to your cruise and mm-hmm. you can go visit places like Denali among other places as well. So that is a cool way for a lot of folks who like yourselves, say, well, this is great taste. Now I want more of it, but you still like that idea of you know going on a cruise at the end of the day and that, that kind of satisfies both of those ideas so there's the good news is there's always like something more to do in alaska and and one cruise just you know doesn't quite do it all yeah so and i think it's nice on a cruise because you can you can just sit and look at the scenery as you're traveling up there whereas on a plane it's it's so quick so i think you miss a lot of Alaska if you're just flying versus going on a cruise up there. Absolutely. Well, if you want to see more of Jenna's work, check out not only RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, but also our YouTube channel where Jenna does all the editing on there. It makes it look really nice and uh, puts it all together. Our YouTube channel name is just Royal Caribbean Blog, one word over there. Jenna, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's time once again to answer some Royal Caribbean cruise questions. These are the emails that you've sent me to be answered right here on the podcast. If you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email today is from Amy, who writes, Hi, Matt. First, let me say I love your podcast. Very informative and insightful. Love to hear all the special aspects of yours and others on the ships. With all that being said, I'm at a roadblock on how to handle the situation. Booked a family cruise of five rooms with 12 people for April 2021. At that time, no protocols were in place to set sail for January 2nd, 2022. Cruising is an easy trip for families with everyone having something that they like. Always book our cruise directly with Royal Caribbean. Never had an issue. Called yesterday to discuss what all the newest protocols are so that I can have my ducks in a row. Well, let's just say they did not go over well. Everyone in my family has to be vaccinated, even the three-year-old, which is not true, by the way. We knew that all adults had to have. My understanding is that anyone under the age 18 did not have to have the vaccine, only a negative test. That's also incorrect. Right now, and again, this is emphasis on right. I'm going to stop the email right now. There's already, you're off to a bad start here. I hate to say that. Number one, uh, the only people have to be, if you're 12 and above, you need to be fully vaccinated in order to go on a real cruise as of right now. Keeping in mind, by the way, that the protocols for uh, cruising right now is only available through November of 2021. So that could certainly change by the time you go on your cruise. So there you go. Number two, you mentioned that you your assumption, your understanding was that anyone under the age of 18 did not have the vaccine, only a negative test. Everybody has to have a negative test 
regardless if you're vaccinated or not. And as I mentioned, if you're 12 and above, you need to be vaccinated. The uh, if you are below two or below, you do not need to be vaccinated in order to go on a cruise. And looking through this email, which is a little lengthy, Amy's asking essentially, you know, the protocols are different than when they booked. What should they do? If you're not comfortable with the protocols, there are two things you could do. Number one, you can cancel, get a future cruise credit. If you're not past final payment date, you can ask for a full refund. And then, you know, because you're before final payment date. But if you're after final payment date or you book non-refundable cruise fare, you can opt for a 100% future cruise credit and wait things out a little bit more. My advice to you when it comes to this kind of stuff is the protocols are changing all the time. But... At the very least, as of right now, you have to assume the protocols that we see today are going to be the protocols going forward. I don't think that'll be the case forever because one of the really common questions people have right now is how long do you think the vaccine mandate and other protocols wearing masks and whatnot will be in place? And the truth answers, I have no idea. I have no earthly idea. You, I probably have a better chance of accurately picking winning lottery numbers than trying to attempt to guess at that. I think it's going to be here for a while. How long a while? I don't know. It could be two months. It could be six months. It could be another year. I, I simply don't know. And I don't think anyone really knows. So if you're uncomfortable with it, then I would probably say you should err on the side of caution and, and cancel the cruise and then come back when you can see a scenario that is agreeable to what you're looking for in your sailing. Next up is an email from Mark. Hi, Matt. My request is to have Royal Reposition the newly amplified before COVID Freedom of the Seas to another port. It was going to do nine nights out of New England, uh, or to New England rather, out of New York and New Jersey, but it got three and four days out of Miami and now has to deal with the Florida vaccination mess. The ship deserves better and Mystery Theater doesn't play on short cruises. When, when can I expect Freedom of the Seas to end these bad itineraries and change to a great port? You know, Mark, it's a... It's a great question. Itineraries change, you know, periodically every year. Royal Caribbean issues new itineraries. Number one, what's on the books now, Mark, you can pretty much guarantee is going to be on the books going forward. But as new itineraries come out, which usually come out again in around no end of November time frame and also in the spring, they kind of split up the new deployments. You never know. I, mean, I think right now, Mark, what you're looking at, honestly, is a lot of it is based on when cruising can restart. Florida was an easy place to do it. Short cruises. That was back in the summer, the way to get back up on their feet, right? Some of the longer sailings were truly, and especially earlier this summer, reviewed as a little more of a stretch, a little more of a, of a nice to have, but it's not really in the cards right now. Now, I think that will change, but hopefully you'll get some other ships out of uh, the New York area. Of course, as you probably already know, Mark, you have Oasis of the Seas coming back. So you do have some options there, but I know that living in the, having lived in the Northeast, there are never enough options, but if your goal is to get something akin to what you see here in, in Florida, yeah, I'm not sure it'll ever get that way, but, you know, it's it's an interesting idea nonetheless. Thank you for the email, More most importantly. Next, we have an email from Matt G. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hi, Matt. Love the podcast. Listen to every episode, some more than once. I booked on Jewel this season out of Miami in February, and I have a two-part question about vaccines and the mask requirement. Number one, with the imminent approval of the Pfizer vaccine for kids who are 5 to 11, do you think Royal will mandate the vaccine for kids in this age range? You know, it's a good question. I was talking about this on our YouTube lives that we do. We do this every Monday on our YouTube channel. We do a live session. And someone asked me this exact question. And, you know, I, there's two sides of the argument. Number one, we don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I could, The argument to be made for that Royal Caribbean will require the vaccine for kids 5 to 11 is simply they've required it for everybody else. So thus, it, logically, you would think they would apply it and say, okay, if the vaccine's available, we're only going to let people who are vaccinated get on board the ship. On the other side of the coin, don't forget... Royal Caribbean said, we're unlike other cruise lines. We want kids on board our ship. We are a family cruise line. We're committed to be a family cruise line. And we're not going to sit here and say, we're not going to have kids on board. Kids are an integral part of it. And this was kind of, 
I don't want to say controversial, but it was a big deal because other cruise lines like Carnival and Celebrity and Norwegian were basically saying, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go on our cruise and that includes kids, right? Which is a big deal. Royal did not do that. And so for that reason, maybe they won't do that as well. I simply don't know, Matt. It's a great question. Uh, Matt's other question is, do you think that if they require vaccines for kids 5 to 11 and on cruises where the age group makes up the majority of kids, which pushes the total vaccinated rate to 95% or above, do you think they would make, remove the mask requirement on board for at least those sailings? My understanding about the, I'm going to, I'm going to expand your question. I'm going to change your question, Matt. My understanding of the, of the mask requirement is it is the same requirement that as to why you have to wear a mask on an airplane. It's not part of the CDC's conditional sale order. It is not a Royal Caribbean protocol in that it's not Royal Caribbean's decision. It is the CDC who is basically telling you any form of travel, public transportation, buses, airplanes, trains, and cruise ships, you need to wear a mask on there. So they're tied to that. Now, there was discussion, Matt. I was on Freedom of the Seas. I was at Perfect Day Coco Key, and Michael Bailey, Royal Caribbean International President and CEO, came up to a group of us of media members who were having lunch. And we were, he was you know, saying, hey, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on board. Isn't it great to be back? And he mentioned this was July 4th. And he mentioned that after the holiday, the CDC was going to lower the mask requirement to cruise ships that had at least 75% vaccinated on board. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. Why? Well, because the literally the next week, the Delta variant really started to kick in. And I think that momentum that they had there was going to change. So certainly, Matt, there there's a reason to believe it could change in that regard. But, you know, I, I got to tell you that I, I it's not tied to necessarily what Royal wants to do. It, and we're, we're kind of delving into... Uh, hypotheticals on top of hypotheticals and which something a topic that I largely struggle with because it's really tough to make work because you know it, it's like like I said it's like guessing lotto numbers I mean there's so many unknowns it's hard to really predict that kind of stuff so thank you Matt for the email though I appreciate it next email is from Mark right time Matt we're booked on a back-to-back -back cruise from Navig on Navigator of the Seas obviously policy subject to change but do you know if we currently need to have somehow get a COVID test between the cruises, thanks for your hard work and excellent information. Mark, yes, you do need to get a COVID test, but don't worry, Royal Caribbean will give it to you. On cruise number one, go down to guest relations on day one or two and say you're uh, doing a back-to-back. -back. We need to schedule a COVID test. They'll give you one on board the ship. It'll be complimentary, and they'll take care of it for you. So you do, you do need to get it, but good news, Royal Caribbean will take care of you on that. Next up is an email from Amanda. Hi, Matt. Writing to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm trying to convince my husband to take our daughter on a cruise next summer. At that point, she'll be two years old. He's worried she won't have enough to do. Besides the nurse during a baby pool, what else could we do with her on a cruise? Also, I heard you can't bring a baby monitor on board. Is that true? I plan to get it on a balcony room to sit out there when she naps, but I won't know if she's awake. Do you know of any alternatives that have been used? Please help me convince my husband to go on the cruise. Thanks for your help. Great questions. So the baby monitor thing, it is actually not allowed, but I believe those are radio baby monitors. If you can use one that uses the internet, that's actually not a bad idea. That'll allow you to get around that particular problem. In fact, I've definitely seen people using them. I was I was at the pub one time and there was a family who was sitting at the bar and they had their, their video monitor. It wasn't a traditional baby monitor with like the radio, you know, like the sound. It was a video monitor. So clearly it was using the internet and they had it right on the table while they were drinking their beers and they kept an eye on the kid. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that's the right or wrong approach. I'm just saying that I saw that and that'd be an alternative. So don't bring a radio-based monitor, bring a video one That'll get you around that particular problem. In terms of, you know, what to do with a two-year-old, you know, this kind of concern, I'm, I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of times I get this kind of question about like, oh, I've got a kid who's too old for the teen club, but can't drink yet. What are they going to do on the cruise? And this can be true of any age, quite frankly, whether you're two, 19, uh, 80, <laughs> uh, it is what you make of it. You know, for, for kids, especially, and, I, and I've traveled with kids when they were both that age and even younger. Number one, they just like hanging out. They like playing. One of the things that my kids like doing at that age 
we would, you know, have a kind of a routine on seat. On poor days, it's a lot easier. You just take them to the beach, take them to the pool, whatever, right? But on seat days, you know, you wake up, you have a meal. Um, you can certainly drop them off to the nursery. You could do playtime is a big thing for them. They just kind of like lounge around playing with their toys. Bring a number of toys for them to play with. Actually, Royal Caribbean pre-COVID would provide you with toys and books to read and things of that nature. So that was an option as well. And I think largely what you're talking about is it's kind of like being at home. Imagine it's a Saturday afternoon. What do you do with your kids on a Saturday afternoon? You're not constantly entertaining them. You can be in your room and kind of doing things. You obviously are going to be moving at their pace, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be enough to do. I think some activities and events are just universal, like your kid can be there with you to enjoy it as well. But, you know, take advantage of the nursery because I think that's really the name of the game and um, you know, spend family time in the daytime, but at night, don't you know, have a plan to drop them off at the nursery because I really do think that helps quite a bit. Next email is from Robert. First off, thank you so much for your blog and podcast. I always enjoy listening to previous episodes when I'm preparing for a cruise. After a year and a half, no cruises booked. I'm excited to say I'm booking a three-night cruise in November. Nothing quite like having a cruise to look forward to, especially when it's so close to sale date. This will be the first time we've been able to visit Perfect Day at Coco Key, and it's a special occasion, so we're looking at booking a cabana for the day. I'm not one to spend all day in the sun, so the possibility of having a shade, comfy couch, and a ceiling fan really appeals. Currently, we have the option of booking a South Beach cabana or a Chill Island cabana. The big question is, do both Chill Island and South Beach offer ceiling fans? From pictures and videos I've seen, I can tell the Chill Island cabanas have fans, but I can't tell if South Beach cabanas do. Also, based on your prior experience, you have an air conditions on either location. Our traveling party is all adults, and we're looking to relax, enjoy some food and drinks, and for others, enjoy some sun time. Tips would be appreciated. Thanks for all that you do and for the great blog and podcast. I can tell you from experience, the Thrill Water Park cabanas do not have a ceiling fan because I was just there and I noticed that. I would say the, honestly, I think Chill Island and South Beach are both very similar experiences. You'll have some music playing at South Beach versus Chill Island, which is designed to be just simply relaxing and quiet. So it doesn't sound like you're looking for a party atmosphere. Not that South Beach is really a party atmosphere, but I would say either one. I think Chill Island is a little bit better. It's a little easier to get to, quite frankly. And since it has ceiling fans that you know that you're good with, I would go there. South Beach is really, I think, for somebody, I've always viewed it, I hate to say it this way because I don't want it to turn anybody off if they have it booked. It's always been like a backup option. Like it's the furthest beach away, so it gets the least crowded, if that really matters. Not that Chill Island gets that crowded, but you know, if you were truly worried about crowds, I would say that South Beach would be far more likely to be less crowded than Chill Island. But honestly, we're really talking about minutia here. If you've got a South Beach cabana, don't look, oh my God, or, you know, it's going to be in the middle of nowhere or anything like that. Far from it. it you kind of, it's kind of nice because you kind of have the whole area to yourself. And they just reopened it. And I walked through it when I was there uh, earlier uh, in uh, in September and it was, uh, or in October, I should say. And it was, it was great. Next email is from Colin in Colorado. Hi, Matt. First off, thanks so much for the great content and all the information you provide us cruise junkies. A couple questions that you could use on the podcast if you'd like. From what I can tell, Adventure Ocean, Adventure of the Seas is dry docked in France and after finishing up her summer sailings from Nassau before heading to Galveston this winter. One source says it's a real amplified refurbishment. That source would be wrong, but I can't find any other details and I'm wondering if it's just routine dry dock maintenance or really a continuation of amplification refurb refurbishments. Uh, it's just it's just dry dock work. Um, the ship's basically as you probably well aware, Colin, we're looking canceled all the amplification. So until further notice, ships that are getting work done this year or next are simply getting in just for the dry dock stuff, the refurbishments and um, the actual amplifications like upgrades, new features. That's all paused at best at this point. And Colin also says with the key restarting on Symphony of the Seas and the changes that were announced, no included embarkation day lunch, complimentary room service, anytime, etc. Do you see these changes increasing or decreasing the key's overall value? 
You know, Colin, I was never a fan of the key to begin with. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I am going to be trying out the new version of the key on Odyssey of the Seas when I go on the ship in November because I want to. People are wondering this. I'm going to tell you, dude, if here's the here's the argument for the key. If you were going to buy the Internet anyway, you're not staying in a suite and you're below Diamond and Crown and Anchor Society. There is an argument to be made for the key that it is, quote unquote, worthwhile, right? I personally don't think the key is worthwhile. I think whatever small benefits it provides are limited. And I think with a little bit of footwork and research, you can kind of get around them and still have a great cruise. Even pre-pandemic, I just thought it sounded better than it was, essentially. And I've written some stuff about on the blog about it. I would say this, look, and there are scenarios in which sometimes people can get the key for like literally a dollar more per person per day than the internet package. And in scenarios like that, okay, why not? I would pay a dollar more and just get these things. Even if you use them or not, it's right. There's not, not much harm in that. But when you're looking at some of the increased costs that are significantly more, I would probably back off on that one. So thank you, Colin, for that email. Our next email is from Steve, who writes, Matt, we just YOLO booked Wonder of the Seas, April 15th, 2021. I think you mean 2022. Five nights in Cosmel and Coco Key. Any tips for sailing on a new ship? Our sailing will be the fifth or sixth sailing of the Wonder. This will be our third Oasis class after Oasis and Allure of the Seas. Cannot wait for all your coverage on the ship. Also, shout out to Beth at MEI Travel. She has been awesome between the COVID cancellations, FCCs, and booking our October cruise on the Allure and now April on the Wonder. Thank you for the recommendation and tips on using a travel agent. You're very welcome, Steve. I'm glad to hear that our sponsor for uh, of RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com has really helped you out. That's fantastic news. Um, I would say when it comes to a brand new ship, number one, because it is a brand new ship, you want to keep it. It's still too early to really know what to expect. But when it comes to new ships, I think the reason why you're going on them is for all the whiz-bang features they offer that are brand new and exciting. So while we don't have a clear view of that right now, what to expect, as we go closer to the cruise, as we get closer to your cruise, certainly I'll be on before you are, Steve, you can get a, by the time you get ready to get on board, you should have a really good idea of what to expect because we're going to have a lot better insight into all the activities and events you can do on board the ship. I generally tell people, you know, it's really about the entertainment, the activities, the shows, the dining. Certainly if there's anything new and exciting on there. That's what you want to gravitate towards because I believe that's truly where is going to really draw your interest uh, the most. Next, we have an email from Jessica. Right, Matt, great blog. Thanks for being there for those of us that are Royal Caribbean fans. I am the tour conductor of a large group of 95 selling on Liberty of the Seas in October out of Galveston. This has been one of the hardest trips I've ever worked with in over a year with all the COVID restrictions and, of course, nail-biting days till we actually get to sail away from the pier. In your episode 425 back-end email replies, you mentioned that there are no real options to adjust your check-in at the pier once you check in via the app. We'll be arriving via two buses and wondering about why Royal Caribbean will not check us in as a group. Any insight? We've been together on route from an overnight stay in downtown Houston to the pier, so why not keep our group together? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, I think it's a combination of a couple things, uh, Jessica. Thank you for the email, by the way. I think, number one, uh, the system is the way the system is, that it's meant while you are a group in in the sense of uh, a the group's department, as is often the case, most groups do not, especially a group of your size, does not travel together all the time. You're not joined at the hip. Hands in hands in hand, you know, like like a scene out of the Sound of Music while you get into the terminal. It's great if you do that. It's fantastic, actually. But that's not really the the expectation or the the reality for most groups. I think that's part of it. And especially, you would hate Jessica, right? If you're telling them, no, our whole group is going to be there. And what happens if one person's not there, right? Then it becomes this like, well, we're all here except for this person. And then that person had to go to the bathroom. And then that person got stuck in in Miami Airport, right? You can quickly see how that can be an issue there. 
And um, one thing, and I apologize if I misled you to some extent about the check-in times. When you have the check-in at the, when you do the online check-in in the app, you can obviously revisit your times. Usually there are on earlier times, but as an example, Jessica, if you picked a later time, if you picked like, gosh, anytime after two o'clock, I bet you can get the whole group at the same time or very close to it because let's face it, um, I, I really feel that, you know, there's not that much demand for those times. And the other reason on top of it also is for social distancing. The reason why Realtor is now enforcing check-in times is for social distancing to ensure there are no crowds or big groups in the cruise terminal. They want you to, when you do the check-in, to be moving the entire time and then get on board the ship. So, you know, there, trust me, there are a lot of protocols out there that I can understand why people kind of look at and be like, well, you're, you're making us do this. And then at the same time, we're doing that instead. How does that make any sense? There's great examples of this in many scenarios. You know, uh, you know, my, my favorite is the things that prevent, you know, uh, certain people from congregating together in one venue, but then in another venue, it's okay to do so. Like, obviously that doesn't make sense or it's not logical in that way, but it's just, it's, it's the world we live in right now with COVID. Uh, it's not a great answer for you, Jessica, but I, but I hope that makes a little bit of sense. I don't know that it will, but that's kind of how I read it. And that's why it, it kind of is the way it is. So. Thank you, uh, Jessica, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails that I can maybe answer, depending on how well I do, you can always do so by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.